0: Ago, an American airplane dropped one bomb on Hiroshima. Mr. Gorbachev tear down this. Welcome back to Cold War 108. Papa Bear, in our last episode, um, we, we've got Ho going to Paris right. uh, to try and negotiate with the French. But before he gets there, he goes on a bit of a holiday because the French don't have a government at this time. Um, a bit like America uh, doesn't really have a government <laughs> uh, right now. S- government's still shut down. I think we're in the second month of the government shutdown. <laughs> yes. I mean, does this does this um,
1: not remind you of Rome? Does the America America not remind um, you of Rome? Because now the government's I- not even working? Come
0: on. Here's a trivia yeah. question. Um do you know when the last time was Australia had a government shutdown? <sighs> I'm guessing never, never, Ray. We've <laughs> never had a government shutdown. Okay, well, we, we did. Uh, yeah. We did have a. You, you know, we have. We do replace our prime ministers every uh, Wednesday. But still, uh, is it Wednesday? Yeah, I guess we need to replace the prime minister. <laughs> but we've never had a government shutdown. Your TSA, because your border, your We have a, We have a country that fucking works. Anyway, um, (laughs) one of the things, so he's in, Ho's in Biarritz um, waiting for the French to form a government, for Georges Bideau, the new prime minister to form a government. Uh, He went to Lourdes. We had some fun with that. He went to a bullfight. He also went tuna fishing on a trawler and caught a couple of tuna. How the fuck (laughs) does Ho Chi Minh pull in a tuna? He looks like a minnow. (laughs) Would right. break his arms in two. Yeah. Um, in later years, he said that these were among the happiest days of his life. And wow. he's hanging out with Jean Santoni, the special envoy to France, a right. Frenchman. Uh, they became quite close. I think they were, I saw a nice photo, a couple of nice photos of them actually, um, I think on the boat, mm-hmm. smoking, chatting, hanging out. Um, so it's really interesting uh, to, to see this side of Ho just chillaxing. He was Netflixing and chilling with Jean Sontigny <laughs> for uh, sort of three weeks while they are uh, just hanging out in a resort seaside town. Um, it's a bit like Bill and Ted's Great Adventure. It was Ho and Jean's crazy three-week little holiday. A bit like us in Europe. Just yeah. They were smoking stogies every night, going to museums. Checking stuff
1: out. Um, Checking you know, stuff I, out. Yeah. I, I got it. Who is the most in-the-moment person that I've read about in history? I mean, he's trying to do this thing. He knows, like you said, he's cynical. It probably isn't going to work, but he's going to try. But he that doesn't stop him from building sincere friendships with people who are, let's face it, the enemy, and having a great time with him. I think he was really a living-in-the-moment kind of person. That, that's something I'm very jealous of. But I, I think he is truly appreciated to you no, know, he has he has appre- learned to appreciate every moment from all the adventures all the traveling and all the experiences he's had in his life i think you're right i think he actually is enjoying this as opposed to playing some long game trying to get this frenchman to like him
0: yeah i agree yeah um so uh on by june 22nd the new government has started to form in paris so Ho and uh, saint uh go to Paris uh, where the peace talks are going to happen at Fontainebleau. Mm-hmm. Now, just imagine fucking Ho at Fontainebleau, man. <laughs> like uh, the, the poorest man from the poorest country rocking up to this massive fucking castle. <clears throat> Must have been amazing. Um, he was taken to the Royal Monceau Hotel where they assigned him a suite of rooms um just the idea of ho uh sleeping in a luxuriously soft bed in these sorts of luxurious hotels uh is quite bizarre even saunterney said he couldn't get his head around that he said he <laughs> suspected ho probably slept on the floor rather than <laughs> on the bed um bit like bit like napoleon uh, napoleon used to uh Take his uh, like his his uh, ca- his campaign bed and and sleep on it when uh, in right. luxurious uh, places where he was staying wherever he'd go he'd just have his little fold out portable campaign bed because he was more most comfortable in that than yeah. sleeping in luxurious beds after decades uh, on the road. Now um, the talks weren't scheduled to begin until early July, so Ho then spends the next week or so. Hanging out in Paris, right? Visiting his old haunts. <laughs> uh, he went to the site of the Normandy landing, which had happened only two years earlier. Wow! Yeah, you've been there, Ray. Yeah. Tell us, uh, tell us again about your impressions going to Normandy.
1: Oh, it was it was just I it was there's I don't know if there's words. It was just magical just to stand there, knowing that those you know tens of thousands of uh, troops were coming up because I went with um what was his name the 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 Swiss. Oh I'm I'm blanking Adrian right. Adrian yeah we had a great time met some Americans on the bus it was a long bus ride and we we had a great time no but just to stand there now when I stood there with Adrian obviously this is many decades later everything's been cleared away but I imagine what it was like for him just 2 years later I'm sure there was still uh constructions up and and the um the obstacles on the beach the Germans trying to stop the stop the allies trying to come in but it's a very beautiful in a way, eerie place. But I can only imagine that it must have moved Ho very much to just be there two years after it happened. And there's still probably burnout trucks and other things that are there as the Allies come ashore. So uh, again, I'm sure it helped him appreciate, not that he needed it, but just how horrific war was. And anything he could do to stop his country from sliding into that would, would be great. Because as we're about to see, even though he's trying his best, there are people back home who who aren't as patient as him, and that's including the French. There are there are clashes going on, and some people just aren't playing. Want to play the long game like he did?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess yeah. It's an important thing to understand in in um, revolutions like this. The the, the so called president, the revolutionary leader, doesn't uh, control everybody. Uh, yeah. There are. Uh, clashes that always break out. Again, as uh, explained in the last episode, we have to understand that from the Vietnamese perspective, they finally um, have an ability to get some revenge against the French that who have been oppressing yeah. them, their parents, their siblings, their grandparents, their children for a, s- a century. Can you imagine? Yeah, how could you not? No way. Everyone, stop for a minute and just imagine that you and your family, for generations, have been treated like animals, right? By this colonial power, and now all of back. a sudden, yeah. you have a gun, and they're back. Yeah, um, you're gonna you're gonna want some revenge, and you have this nice old man with a long wispy beard. Um, and- in a remote part of the country saying, no, no, let's not do that. Everyone just be nice. Yeah, are like, fuck you. I want revenge, bitch. It's very, right. very hard to stop people from taking revenge. And, of course, as I explained in the last episode, the French, particularly the French military, and we know the French uh, 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 residents of Vietnam, uh, didn't really think of the Vietnamese as their equals uh, right. They probably saw them as f- at least inferior, if not subhuman, um, uh, and they really didn't uh, respect them. So they're like, "Get out of my way, you scum!" And mm-hmm. uh, the Vietnamese are like, "Fucking come here and say that!" And so, you know, all of this is going on. Uh, it's yeah. very very hard to keep a shell on a lid, a lid, a shell, a hat, a box with a little rose, <laughs> whatever. You get what I'm saying, right? It's very hard I to do. keep a lid on people you know quite often when you read um the histories of countries like this where there's a, a revolutionary army uh trying to oust uh colonial power or even um, indigenous dictatorships like Batista in Cuba uh you 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 read of acts of violence on behalf of the rebels yeah. um and you know it, it's easy for Westerners uh, to point fingers and going, oh Tal, look at that violent, violent rebels. Um, mm-hmm. You have to you have to kind of put yourself in the shoes of somebody that has been oppressed for a century or longer, um, and the amount of anger and and vitriol and and desire for revenge that they would have. And really think, well, what would I do in that situation? You know, would I yeah. be able to contain my desire for revenge? Imagine, like we saw Zap. Um, you know, he, his wife was murdered in a prison by mm-hmm. the French. She was garroted, I think. Um, there was another guy we talked about in an earlier episode who a Vietnamese married to a white woman. She oh, got yeah. her teeth punched out. Yes, by French for being a fucking race trader. Right. I mean, you, then they're just like two stories. Imagine like everyone you know has had friends or family. You've had friends and family that have been brutally treated. Um, right. You know, Google some photos of the Vietnamese under French occupation and you see them just photos of people in cages and stocks. um now, it's yeah. not to say that all of the French in Vietnam were horrible, horrendous human beings, but uh, enough were, you know, uh, enough went along yeah, with that's it. Oh well, that it's just the way it is, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Anywho, <clears throat> um, Ho's in Paris, walking mm-hmm. around wearing his khaki suit. If people wanted to meet with him, he invited them to join him for breakfast at six a.m. Wow. Um, yeah. When Sontini gave a reception for Ho at his own townhouse, one of the people who attended was Alba Soreau, who's uh, Sontini's father-in-law, former governor of Indochina, adversary of Ho. Right. And he goes, oh, here you are, you old brigand. I have you within reach at last. What good part of my life I've spent pursuing you. Then he gave Ho a hug. Praised him (laughs) as a good friend, and they ate canopies. (laughs) Oh my god! The fuck? That's a
1: mind fuck right there. Yeah.
0: Yeah. What? (laughs) What?
1: The fuck? Yeah. If I had caught you, I would have killed you or left you in jail for years. But now that you're here and you're the president, good to see you again. You know, let's 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 uh let's raise a glass to each
0: other. Hold on, I got to say this about canopies. Canopies. Reminds me of this.
1: Fredo! Fredo, you son of a bitch! You look great! Frank Pantangeli!
0: I thought you was never coming out west, you
1: you phone! I, <laughs> I gotta check on my boys, huh? Hey Fredo! Hey, what's with the food around here? What's the matter? Kid comes up to me in a white jacket, gives me a rich cracker and a chop liveries and this kind of peace. I said, uh, uh, canopies my ass. That's a Ritz cracker and chopped liver. You can about 10 of a Canopies my ass. That's, uh, Keep it real.
0: Yeah. yeah chopped liver right and there. a Ritz cracker. Yeah. 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 Frankie Pentangeli. <laughs> Frankie Five Angels. fucking love Frankie Pentangeli. <laughs> Where was I? Oh, yeah. So, Albert Serra gives him a big hug. Oh, you. Know, it's like... It'd be like yeah. fucking. It'd be like a FDR and Hitler meeting, or Stalin and yeah. Hitler meeting, like not early nineteen forty-five, and just giving each right. other a hug, friendly punch on the shoulder. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you <laughs> out, devil! Oh, yeah. we we had some times, haven't we? And <laughs> we had some times. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> uh, fucking uh, weird. We've, we've killed tens of thousands
1: of each other's guys. Good times. Good times.
0: Uh, while he's in Paris, Ho also visits Napoleon's tomb, lays mm. a wreath on the tomb of the uh, Unknown Soldier. The Arc de Triomphe basically did. He was like he was on our tour. Basically, right. hit all the hit all the stops.
1: Right, and, <laughs> and then like
0: you, yeah. I was just thinking, like uh, uh, Hitler visited Napoleon's tomb when he was in Paris. A few right. years later, Ho Chi Minh visits Napoleon's tomb. Wow. So I, no, I don't often think about that when I visit Napoleon's tomb, um, but just thinking about uh, all of the uh, people that have visited it before you is uh, quite astounding. What did yeah. you think? Was it your first time uh, when, oh, yeah. on our trip to go to Napoleon's oh, yeah. tomb? What did you think? I, was,
1: I mean, it was certainly worthy of the man's deeds. It was as impressive as, as hell, and and I think they were really trying to you know, I don't know, demonstrate uh, that this guy was a giant on the world. He had, you know, he had his time on the stage, and I thought it was very. And it's not like I've been to a lot of great men's tombs, but I thought it was very impressive.
0: What do you, you think, think he'd be happy with it?
1: Um, he'd probably go. You could have went a little bigger. No, I, I think <laughs> I think he would be. I think he would be happy and impressed and pleased that they're making such a big deal out of him. Because he probably was a sociopath, but that's more for you to say than me. But, I mean, he certainly loved the limelight.
0: Yeah, interesting question, whether or not he was a sociopath or a psychopath. But anyway, yeah. yeah. Um, So Ho um, is getting around Paris, meeting people, and even when the talks finally begin on July 6th at Mm -hmm. uh, Fontainebleau, Ho's not there because, as you explained before, he's not part of the negotiating team. Right. He is staying in Paris to do what he referred to as Operation Charm. <laughs> um, basically, how I think of, it's how I think of you, Ray. Uh-huh. When we're out together. Yeah. I'm getting the work done. You are Operation <laughs> Charm. People love me. I don't know what yeah. it is. It just, it
1: just it happens. It's I pity. don't know. It's, it's, it's pity, <laughs> hey. mostly. Pity sex is still sex. Let me tell you that right now. Yeah. No, I, I thought it was interesting. So as they're meeting, um, For the French team, you've got Max André, who actually had visited Indochina because de Gaulle had sent him there. But there's other people on the team. You've got members from the French Communist Party. You've got people from the Socialist Party. You've also got people from the Prime Minister's MRP Party. It's a Christian Democratic political party, which is strongly supported by the Catholic Church. So it is very conservative. So I'm sure as the Vietnamese were looking across at this varied field of men, they're probably thinking, "Okay, he's going to hate me. Maybe this other guy will, will treat me fairly, but they're about to find out.
0: Oh, well, they're Christians. Obviously, they're going to treat <laughs> people well. Okay. Uh, I don't. You know, these poor oppressed uh, Vietnamese, of course. <laughs> the they're Christians the ones who are oppressed gonna... them. Sorry. Okay, uh, I'll calm yeah. down. I'll calm down. What yeah. did Jesus say about that? Step Blessed, on the throne and take everything uh, they have? No? Nope. Well, yeah, that's. I think that was... Um, <laughs> The, 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 uh, blessed are the meek for it's easy to take their shit. <laughs> <clears throat> totally my life. Pretty sure that's, that's how it goes. Yeah. Sounds um, right. Yeah. So, but Ho's close by. So he's probably meeting with the negotiating team. Um, uh, he's able to, he's able to, you know, guide them. They, if they, if they get stuck, if they have questions. Um, so. All of the uh, major political parties and organisations in France host taking meetings with while this is going on. Now, he's counting on getting the support of the populace, getting the support of the journalists, and getting support of mm-hmm. the intellectuals, particularly all of his former colleagues from his early days. Remember, he's there in the 20s. Right. He's he's, he's with the communists and the socialists. He still you know, uh, has kept up contact with them, I'm sure, he's He's absolutely convinced they're going to be on his side right and they're and they're going to sort of stand up and, and force the government to do the right thing um, but you know there's theres there's problems um in getting the public on his side still because the press is reporting the violence back home in Vietnam, which is still going on. Vietnamese attacking French civilians, military skirmishes uh, between both sides. Um, So he's he's fighting against that as well, which obviously the French aren't looking fondly upon. And the French media are probably putting a French spin on it. Those Uh dirty, dirty, dirty... (laughs) Vietnamese communists are are attacking the the lovely French. All we do is we walk up and we say "bonjour, monsieur, <laughs> Vous voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir?" <laughs> and then they shoot us right in the penis.
1: Yeah, yeah. So um, Ho gave a press conference. So on July twelfth, Ho holds holds. Let me try that again. So on July twelfth, Ho holds a press conference. And <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna, I can't believe I put you that <laughs> anyway, so um yeah, but like you said, he's trying to win okay. over the uh the public support. He does have his friends from back in the twenties, but we're gonna we're gonna see how that works out, and what he does is he tries to explain. His country's goals. He goes, look, this is very easy. Vietnam wants to be nationally, uh, to have national independence, not a federal system, but that H- Hanoi would accept independence within a framework of the French Union, like you were saying earlier. And what it comes down to is we'll actually run everything, but we'll be within the framework of of the French Empire, so you know, hopefully both sides can still make money because that's what it's all about. Um, but he said the provinces uh, within Cochin China are a vital part of the national territory, and that cannot be dealt with separately. We have to we have to talk about all of this. You can't just come in and start taking parts of our country. And he goes in, re- and this is what impresses me uh, about how he goes in return. All French property and other rights will be protected by the new Vietnam- Vietnamese government. And and if the, if the new government needs foreign advisors, the French locals will be given preference. So he's like saying, let us work within your system. We'll all make money. You get to keep your rights. You get to keep your property. And if we do need advice or if there's something that we can't handle, we will come to you first before we go to anybody else. I mean, those are some major concessions for someone to give that is trying to get independence for his own country.
0: Yeah, he's saying all the right things, you would think, for the French to go, all right, fair enough. You're reasonable. That sounds good. Let's work towards that.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, When an American reporter asked if he was a communist, he replied that he was a student of Karl Marx. But, Mm -hmm. as Cameron has said on this show a million times, (laughs) communism (laughs) requires an advanced industrial and agricultural base and Vietnam Mm -hmm. possessed neither of these conditions. Right. Who knows, he said, when the dream of Karl Marx will be realized. 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ taught the importance of loving one's enemies, and that has yet to come true. Oh, Maybe in 50 years, snap. Vietnam will be ready for communism, but not now. Drop. He said that any change to the economic system would be gradual, and that the Vietnamese constitution, which he said was modeled on the American one, contains safeguards for private property. He said, if the capitalists come to our country, it will be a good thing for them. They will make money, Mm -hmm. but not as it was made in the old days. From now on, it is 50-50. So, yeah, again, you read what he actually is saying, um, and he sounds quite reasonable. But the talks at Fontainebleau, unfortunately, had stalled.
1: Yeah, because um, Ho can have all the clever repartees that he wants. That's not exactly helping with the progress. Because now we're finding out what the French want. The French are proving um, what they want by their actions. When word gets back to Paris on July 23rd that the High Commissioner, D'Angelo, Uh, has announced that a conference will be held in Dalat again on August 1st. And the goal is to review uh, creating a federation of Indochinese states of Cochin, China, Southern Annam, Central Highlands, Cambodia, and Laos, but not Tonkin. And let's be honest, the only reason that's probably not included is because the Vietnamese control that. So basically what he's saying is, we are going to carve up your entire country to make it weaker and then we are going to bring it in piece by piece to the french fold and and you will not be able to do anything about that. So how are the french the how are the vietnamese team negotiating team supposed to respond to that because this is our plan to carve you up, bring you back in, make you weak and you won't be able to fight us. And so the the vietnamese delegation that is there to represent their side are absolutely frustrated with the statement.
0: Yeah. Uh, so the head of the Vietnamese negotiating team was Pham Van Dong. Uh, mm-hmm. he, he goes on to be the Prime Minister of North Vietnam um, for 21 years. Wow. Uh, and then following unification, he was the Prime Minister of the Unified Vietnam for 11 years. Damn. That's impressive. Uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, he was one of Ho's closest lieutenants. Um, so according to him, anyway, when they were at Fontainebleau, uh, one of the French delegates said to him, we only need an ordinary police operation for eight days to clean all of you out. Oh, fuck. Yeah. That- so in other words, the yeah. French position was, we don't need to compromise with you, fuck you, we're taking over, Um and Bidot, the new prime minister, uh, the, the Christian prime minister, <laughs> who, would, who basically uh, sort of ran French policy on Indochina for the next eight years, uh, you know, war was unthinkable, but the alternative, giving away independence to the yellow men, as he referred to them, the legion, mm. um, who had been dominated for a century by the French, was even more unthinkable than war. There's no way... They're going to give these yellow men their independence. Now, uh, Leclerc, the general who is in Indochina, who had was the guy who liberated Paris just a right. year before, and then de Gaulle sent him down to Indochina, he had written a memo to the government saying that France had practically won in Indochina, Ooh. had basically secured most of the vital points, and shouldn't concede much at all to the Vietnamese. At Fontainebleau, there was no need Um, and he said he didn't trust Ho Chi Minh. All Ho wanted was to throw the French out of Vietnam altogether. Leclerc wrote, I think under these conditions that it would be very dangerous for the French representatives at the negotiations to let themselves be fooled by the deceptive language, democracy, resistance, the new France, that Ho Chi Minh and his team utilised to perfection. So he's calling bullshit on Ho. And saying, listen, we don't need to negotiate. We've already got this bitch wrapped up. Just tell them to go fuck themselves. I got this. Yeah.
1: So... The, the talks stop. Ho comes, Ho's invited to Fontainebleau. He gets us, the uh, talks going again. They stop again. He tries to get it going again. But like you were saying a second ago, this is what makes it so hard for the, for the previous winner up to this moment. Like you said, Leclerc has been trying to suppress uh, resistance in the Mekong Delta. And in response to that, Tran Van Giao, who um, is there for the Vietnamese, um, even though I think he might be a nationalist, I'm trying to remember. But the point is he's using scorched, scorched earth tactics. So he goes up to the locals and he says, look, you either with us or you're against us. And so if you're against us, we're either going to kill you. We're going to abduct you. We're going to, we're going to beat you up, whatever. So between the French cracking down on the locals and then the locals cl- cracking down on the locals because they're not being loyal to them. I mean, the South is turning in, into a war zone. And so that is just, adding tension to these talks which aren't going anywhere anyway the only one who seems to be willing to talk to negotiate through all of this horrible ordeal is ho chi min
0: mm. well yeah um while all of this is going on in fontainebleau uh diaz jean uh he's still in saigon He announced on July 23rd that he's going to convene his own conference at Dalat um, on August the 1st. Mm -hmm. So he's like, yeah, okay, you guys are getting nowhere. I'm going to have my own conference. Um, Now, the Vietnamese delegation uh, at this conference in Dalat uh, protested on August 1st when it it kicked off. They protested what uh, D'Ozhan Lu was doing in Cochin, China, Right, um, and so the negotiations were suspended. So they lasted about 10 minutes, that conference, and <laughs> right. it was all over. Jeez. And then, um, as you said, Leclerc is uh, still trying to mop up resistance, which is sort of his perspective in the Mekong right. Delta. Um, Zhao is uh, fighting back. Um, he's pretty brutal with the scorched earth, scorched earth policy yeah. using sort of terrorism and brutality on the local population. Um, and areas under control of the religious sects were attacked as well, um, particularly the religious sects that refused to place themselves under Viet Minh command. Um, and there was... Uh, oh, I'll get to that later. Okay. Um yeah there's one particular sect that I want to talk about but it's a little bit later on my notes okay um, now negotiations Fontainebleau uh, resumed in late August uh, didn't get very far again uh, they're still fighting over coach in China and basically uh, the Vietnamese delegates broke off the talks on September 10th so it's been going on for like for some well, early July right uh, August September so two months. These talks have been going on. they got nowhere. Yeah. Uh, the Vietnamese delegation break off talks, and they leave Paris. But Ho sticks around. Yeah. The
1: delegation takes off. They're going home by ship. But Ho is going to stick around because... um one he's the only one who seems to be willing to talk to anybody and everybody but at the end of the day i mean he knows he's got to get something out of these people because the the uh, like you said the violence is increasing back in indochina and i thought this was rather strange but this is where this is where it really starts getting tense on a personal level santini asks ho to go home back to hanoi and to work against his own people to try to quail the anti-French feelings of the locals. Ho says no. He's like, I can't go back empty-handed because I'll be discredited. So the government stops the French government stops paying for his room at the fancy hotel and like you said he probably wasn't even sleeping in the bed anyways he was probably sleeping on the floor but the point is now the French want him to leave they start paying his bills but he knows he's got to do something he's got to try to generate some kind of agreement because if he goes back home between the nationalists uh, between the more radical communists that are with him he his personal life could be in danger but the point is he knows it will all fall apart there will be war and that is the the number one thing that he is trying to avoid—it might not be for humanitarian reasons or whatever—he just knows that his country is not ready for war, so he's going to stick around and do what he can, even though the French are pressuring him into leaving.
0: That's going to be our new coffee mug. Just Ho says no. <laughs> Ho says no. People can for the picture of Ho. People can keep it on their desk at work. Somebody comes and asks them for something, and they can just hold their coffee mug. Really? Ho says no. <laughs>
1: Then they'll go, so you're the ho. That's right. And I'm saying no. now.
0: Now, uh, around right about this time, ho tries to get the U.S. ambassador to uh, organize American support. But, of no. course, that's not going anywhere still. He's, Ho's still trying to get the Americans. Eventually, he thinks yeah. they're going to come around. Now, Washington wasn't in the mood to help, even though the Office of Southeast Asian Affairs mm-hmm. warned the State Department that a critical situation was emerging in Indochina as a result of French actions in violation of the March 6th Agreement. Right. So that was the way that uh, it was seen by this department inside of Washington, the French violations. Um, and this department in their memo said that uh, there was increasing tensions among the Vietnamese because of anger over French behaviour. There were grounds to believe that the French were preparing to resort to force to secure their position throughout Indochina. There was a guy called Moffat in the Office of Southeast Asian Affairs who suggested that the State Department might wish to express to the French, in view of our interests in peace and orderly development of dependent peoples, our hope that they will abide by the spirit of the March 6th Convention. But that memo ended up in the shredder. Uh, (laughs) Truman had no intention of upsetting the French over Indochina because, you know, as we've talked about before, they wanted the French on board, um, particularly for, you know, dividing up Germany and keeping the Soviets at bay and all that kind of stuff. So he is not going to have that conversation with them all they cared about yeah at this point was the idea the the Americans this is was the idea that the government in Hanoi might be a tool for the Kremlin trying to expand its influence in Asia so they're just they're not going to do anything that could help Ho and the Vietnamese now i get all that
1: all that makes sense from from um, truman's point of view but i i can't help but think that and there's just a big disconnect for me when it comes to Truman, because we just ended World War Two. It was horrific. And now it looks like there's going to be another war. Yes, it's going to be smaller. And yes, it's on the other side of the world. And yes, it's involved with one side that's probably going to get there, get defeated pretty quickly unless they go to guerrilla tactics. But the point is, this seems to be a French problem. Not an American problem, but at the very very least, i don 't understand why Truman couldn't just a little bit with this new government going, "Look, I know you 're trying to get back your empire. I can completely appreciate that you 've got my support. However, can you do everything humanly possible before you get to the point of war i would just I would just really appreciate it if we didn't have another war because once war starts, you really can 't control it you don 't know what 's going to happen, you don't know what the various reactions are going to be it's it 's a very Chaotic thing, and so if you could just not go to war, I would really appreciate it. But from what I can see, there's not even that. It's just Truman going, nope, nope. The free, the French have a free hand. Do whatever you got to do. Get your empire back. I just need your help in Europe.
0: Do whatever you want. Well, I think, yeah, I think we need to also understand um, all politics is local, right? As we've mm. said before, and mm-hmm. we know that Truman and the Democrats um, are copping a lot of heat
1: domestically oh, that's
0: right. over being soft on communism. Yes. You let Stalin run all over you guys at Yalta yeah. um, and Potsdam, and uh, what are you doing to contain yeah. the communist threat? You've got uh, J. Edgar Hoover leaking stuff about Soviets <laughs> spying on Americans, right. about infiltration of the Manhattan Project. You've got Drew Pearson writing stories in the press about how the U S government's been infiltrated by the Soviets. Um, so, you know, I think Truman's probably thinking that he can't be seen to be doing anything that could in any way, shape or form as give assistance diplomatic or otherwise to communists. Now that the war is over, um, he can't, uh, allow himself to be criticized by the Republicans or even by people in his own party, for for appearing weak on communism. So I think that's probably what's going on, at least in part.
1: Right. And and you're right. But but, uh, just another criticism of Truman, not FDR, but of someone like FDR who was as clever, who was as uh, politically skillful, who was as worldly as him, had been in charge... Uh, because we know FDR hated um, de Gaulle. But the point is, I, I think a bigger man, a bigger person could have been in that office and said, look, I'm doing this. But no, I'm not soft on communism. I will check them when I have to check them. But we're talking about human lives. I, I think someone might have tried to walk on that tightrope. But I think you're absolutely right. Truman is not the man for that. And that's really all that matters. He's making the call and he's giving the French a
0: pass. Hmm. Meanwhile, Ho is under attack from all sides uh, when he gets back to Vietnam. Well, he's going to take time to get back anyway, but uh, even while he's still in Paris, he's being attacked. His own people are criticising him for trying to avoid war and compromising with the French. The French are criticising him. Um, Even Bidot, the new prime minister, claims to have proof that Ho's offer of friendship is just a ruse and that he had secretly sent messages back to Hanoi instructing them to, Prepare for a renewal of hostilities Um, Now, Sontany, on the other hand Believed Ho was genuine in his desire to avoid war But I think Badeau might have had a point I mean, if I was Ho Mm -hmm. um, I would be telling my people to prepare for war Because he's getting nowhere He spent months and months trying to negotiate They're getting nowhere I mean, it's obviously writing is on the wall And in an interview that Ho did with the New York Times On September 11th Mm -hmm. uh, He told the uh, American journalist that Americans... Sorry, let me stop that again. I'll start that again. <laughs> In an interview that Ho did with the New York Times on September 11th, uh, the American reporter David Schoenbrunn told Ho that Americans didn't think communism was compatible with freedom. Ho replied, If men you call communists are the only men who lead the fight for independence, then Vietnam will be communist. Independence is the motivating force, not Mm, communism. On the issue of independence and the unity of North and South, we are all in agreement. Communists, Catholics, Republicans, peasants, workers. If we must, we will fight together for those aims. The reporter Schoenbrunn then asked Ho whether or not he thought war was inevitable. Ho replied, yes, we will have to fight The French have signed a treaty and they wave flags for me, but it's all a masquerade. And then when when Schoenbrun noted that without an army and modern weapons, such a war would be hopeless, Ho disagreed. He pointed to the example of the simple American farmers who took on the (laughs) mighty British Empire, and he said, no, it wouldn't be hopeless. It would be hard, it would be desperate, but we can win. We have a weapon every bit as powerful as the most modern cannon. nationalism. Do not underestimate its power. Mm. You Americans, above all, ought to remember that a ragged band of barefooted farmers defeated the pride of Europe's best armed professionals. Of course, what he didn't say was the British let the Americans win, uh, but that's a whole other story that we will yeah. get into we had French if you hope. ever let me yeah. if you ever let me do my uh, <laughs> series on American War of Independence which you always talk me out of because you're scared <laughs> you're a scared little kitty cat well
1: yeah no but 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 it's yeah. also time um, and, and you can tell this if you want but it's also time for another of hose folk folksy. Stories. Do you want to tell them about the elephant and the tiger?
0: I do, and I want to put this on a coffee mug as well. Ho said that when war happens, it will be a war between an elephant and a tiger. Okay, it's time I do a Ho voice. I do voices for everybody. This is not racist. I do voices for everyone. Okay. Everyone calm the fuck down. Right. (laughs) I'm actually doing my cane from Kung Fu voice. My my, uh, cane's master. Anyway, I've only got one. Yeah. So... Ho Chi Minh gives an interview to an American journalist from the New York Times in uh, late 1946. And they, he says, look, probably we're going to have to go to war with the French. Um, and uh, because they're not, we, we've spent months and months and months trying to negotiate with them mm-hmm. and they won't budge. So it's probably going to end up in war. And uh, the American journalist says, well, hold on, there's no way a ragtag bunch of farmers can win a war against this mighty army. And Ho says it will be a war between an elephant and a tiger. Mm. If the tiger ever stands still, the elephant will crush him with his mighty tusks. But the tiger does not stand still. He lurks in the jungle by day and emerges by night. He will leap upon the back of the elephant, tearing huge chunks from his hide. And then he will leap back into the dark jungle. And slowly the elephant will bleed to death. That will be the war of Indochina. Damn, and he was right. He was he almost, right. He nailed it again. Again, yeah. crystal ball, huh? I like. People stood there silently for a minute and then went.
1: Oh <laughs> shit, dude! <laughs> damn, oh, boy. man, you just damn boy.
0: <laughs> yeah, <Hello>. boy. <laughs> Mic drop (laughs) That's what they said (laughs) Yeah
1: boy
0: (laughs) Wow Oh my god He finished He finished uh, Apparently he said to Sontany later on That if they didn't meet it, if, If they didn't reach an agreement it would lead to war He said you will kill ten of my men While we will kill one of yours But you will be the ones To end up exhausted Oh, so the man has a plan. He knows what he's he knows what he's doing. Yeah, jeez. Anyway, days and weeks pass. The gap between the French and the Vietnamese never seems to get any smaller. Um, and according to David Ben Gurion, the Israeli leader who was in Paris at the time, you could tell the French attitudes towards Ho by the length of his red carpet that they rolled out. I love this. So (laughs) when he first arrived in Paris, the red carpet stretched from... You know, sort of the, the the sidewalk all the way to his room in the hotel. Mm-hmm. According to Ben Gurion, Ho's descending fortunes could be measured by the progressive shrinking <laughs> of the protocollary carpet. <laughs> As time dragged on, the carpet started at the lobby, then at the staircase, <laughs> and then simply the corridor at the front of his suite. Oh my God. Um,. So they just kept. I wonder if they had different carpets or if they just kept cutting the carpet. There yeah. was some guy, his job at the hotel was to take a Stanley knife every day and just cut another inch off yeah. the carpet. He <laughs> goes, All of the, it's not going to be any carpet. You got to go before there's no carpet. Right. There's no carpet. Countdown. You, you can't even get into your hotel room. That's the rules of right. protocol.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, so, three days after the New York interview on September 14th, Ho is speaking with Marius. Monet, no, no, Mutet, I think I'm saying it right. Uh, the minister of the colonies, and Ho wanted, Boutet. Oh, thank Moutet. you, Moutet. 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 Um, Ho wanted both sides to work on solving the, the crisis. That is the building tension in Cochin, China. But Monet, but Moutet says no. <laughs> Sorry, he could not talk. Uh, he, he could not talk. Hello. Yeah, wait.
0: Wait. Wait. Yeah. Wait. Wait. Yeah. There's a famous painter. M O N E T. How do you say his name? Monet. Yes, Mute? M- Monet Moutet. Mute. Just remember Monet Moutet.
1: Moutet, but Mute says no. He could not talk to the Vietnamese in that part of the country. Why? Because it was now a part of um, France. It was. It would violate French f- sovereignty. So I guess what he's saying to Ho is, "Coach in China already." Belongs to France. It's a done deal. We cannot negotiate over something that we already own. So again, that's got to be another death knell to Ho as far as any kind of future talks.
0: So he gives up and he's about to leave Paris when he goes to visit Moutet at Moutet's um, house late at night. He just rocks up on the doorstep by himself. Knock, (laughs) knock, let me in. Sits down in, like, Moutet's bedroom oh. and says, listen, you, you, can't, you can't send me home like this with nothing. Like, yeah. seriously. yeah, You can't send me home. I've been here for months. You cannot send me home like this. And I think they were old friends from um, oh. Ho's days in Paris early on. They'd known each other for decades. So they sign a piecey little piece of paper that they refer to as a modus vivendi, Mm -hmm. uh, a temporary agreement. It called for a ceasefire in Cochin, China, that would take effect on October 30th, Mm -hmm. and then the resumption of negotiations in January 1947. That was all Ho accomplished in 90 days in Paris. Yeah. He signed the original agreement on March 6th. It's now the middle of September, April, May, June, July, August. Six months. Yeah. In six months, he's achieved nothing in negotiations. Yeah. And he admitted to Sontany, I have just signed my death warrant. And I don't think he was being hyperbolic here. No. I think he means it. Like, he's scared that when he goes home... They might kill him. They might take him out the back and shoot him. We tried for it for yeah. accomplishing nothing.
1: Exactly. We tried it your way. You're the one who's been talking to us for years. It didn't work. Now we're going to take a more direct path. Because there there are a lot of hotheads. There are a lot of people, like you said, who want revenge. Can you just imagine a seventeen year old who's heard stories about his parents, his family, his grandparents, his uncles, you know, going back a couple generations. A seventeen year old, a twenty two year old, whatever for them it's payback time. And they've probably held back a bit because of Ho's um uh, his uh, stature his, his um his dignitas if you will but now that's going to be shattered there's and ho just knows that when he gets back and he has nothing to show for it i know that came out bad um it it's going to it's going to no, blow that's the roof good. off no that's good it's going to blow the roof
0: off i'm just adding that to the coffee mug list <laughs> ho just knows a ho just knows
1: a ho just knows <laughs> <laughs> dead man walking
0: yeah yeah, yeah. um so you know, Ho, yeah. Ho had obviously seriously underestimated his ability to get the the left in France uh. Uh, on his side to support him, public opinion, journalists. He really thought he could pull off Operation Charm and right. he failed. Oh, yeah. He, he got nowhere. And as as you said, like he's been the one telling people back home, no, no, no. We can deal. We can talk to these people like grown-ups. We can negotiate. Mm-hmm. We can do this in a civilized way. These are the French: liberté, égalité. You know, they are. They are going to finally. They're going to see it our way. We, we're going to get there. We just need to be patient. We just need to do this the right way. Um, right. And after six months of that, he has probably gone backwards. He hasn't gone forwards. Yeah. Um. And so he left left Paris in September for the last time. Never again would he set foot yeah. in the city that he probably knew better than any other city. Right. He lived there longer than he lived anywhere else. Yeah. And he insisted on taking a ship back to Vietnam. Even though the French offered him a plane yeah. at their expense, they were happy to see the end of him. Why do you think he wanted to travel by boat, Ray? Well,
1: he told the French, (coughs) because in my health, which has never been good, a flight would somehow be bad for me. But I I think he's got a lot of reasons. I think, um, and he figured this out probably pretty quickly. One, he knows because... Once he gets this paltry uh, document signed, he does send it on back home. And he knows that the people are going to go insane. And like you said, his life might not be worth spit now. So maybe if he takes a ship back home versus a plane, that will give them a time to digest it, and maybe calm things down or whatever. Uh, but the other thing I couldn't help but think of is that the French... And and we, we've we pretty much said this 25 different times. The French do not want to negotiate. They feel like they do not have to negotiate. It is over with now. It failed miserably. What good is ho to them anymore? Maybe on the way home, there's an accident in a plane where the plane's going down and there's one parachute too few. And that's going to end up being for ho. So I don't know. Maybe he was scared for his life. But at the very least, he's got to be thinking, look, I just sent this humiliating document home. I'm going to take the slow way home and give the people a time to digest it. They can think about it and maybe give myself time to try to think of another way to get talks moving in the future.
0: Yeah, apparently uh, um thought that that was the reason Ho didn't travel by plane. He mm-hmm. was worried about an attempt on his life if he flew by plane. And Ho confirmed this himself many years later. Wow. I think it'd be easier to just throw somebody overboard off a ship um, than have them whacked on a plane or the plane go down. But, yeah. What do I know? Um, So after two months uh, of trying to negotiate with the French, Mm -hmm. um, four months away from his own country, um, Ho returns back to Vietnam from Paris by boat, Um, he carried no luggage with him except for one change of clothes and did his own washing. Mm -hmm. This is the president of a country. (laughs) Right. Now, according to sailors, French sailors on board, he gave them lectures every day. Wow. Um, One of them later recalled in his comments, Ho said, in my country, we lack everything. We have neither machines nor primary materials, not even skilled workers. Our finances have been reduced to a minimum, but our country possesses mountains and forests, rivers and seas in abundance, and our compatriots are strong in resolution, in courage and creative spirit. Mm.
1: That's what they are going uh, to be he, s-
0: yeah. he wrote a letter to a French woman uh, while he was on the boat. She had recently written him a letter begging him not to allow war to break out between the two countries And he pointed out to her that the Vietnamese people hated bloodshed just as much as the French did, Mm. but that, like the French, they insisted on independence and national unity of their fatherland. Wow. And and again,
1: he's right. I mean, he's he's being as honest and sincere as he can and hoping the French will meet him halfway. It doesn't happen. So so you're right. So mid-October, he's back in his country. He is met by uh, the high commissioner... De uh, Argelu, he's met by Saint Denis' replacement, the new senior French representative to the Hanoi government. And again, they, they sit down and they talk how can we make this ceasefire work? Uh, but Badeau, the prime minister, has already told the high commissioner of what Ho, Ho told him that. If you're going to have this high commissioner in my country, we at the very least need a Vietnamese representative helping him try to work on the ceasefire. And Ho is, is, again, willing to meet them halfway by saying, I do not support any kind of terrorism by our people in Cochin, China. But I couldn't help but compare that to what's going on in the Middle East today. So if a French officer kills a local in Cochin, China, it's the French protecting a part of a country that they took. If a Vietnamese man kills a Frenchman in Cochinchina, he's a terrorist, even Mm. though he's acting in his own country. Does that not sound familiar?
0: It does sound familiar. And this is how colonialists always position it. I mean, Chomsky's got a great saying where he says uh, something like, um, every... Colonial power or imperialist power always says they are defending human rights against terrorism. Uh, that's been the the call throughout history. Mm-hmm. I mean, even Julius Caesar said that when he was invading. Yeah, Goyle, he was right? honest. We, yeah, <laughs> well, no, no, no. When Caesar was first in oh, Gaul, right, right, he was saying, um, you know, we're doing this to protect people. Uh, you know, we've got Romans. Yeah. who are you know traitors that are in Gaul. They're being attacked. Or our uh, Gaulish Allies. tribes that we've done ally- right. alliances with are being attacked by the Germans that are coming over the Rhine. We need to go and, you know, it's all about protecting human rights. Yes, we're <laughs> going to rape the fucking <laughs> shit out of the land while we're right. there. bust some heads. But... But we're justifying it by saying, yeah. you know, we're doing it to spread freedom. Roman freedom. Anywho... Yeah. Mm, Yes. Um, Now, while Ho's been away, uh, Zapp, his 2IC, only 35 years old, no formal military training, no formal training in anything, except I think he was a teacher, has been running the government um, (sighs) for the months that Ho's been away and eliminating opposition elements. (laughs) Now, (laughs) That's what you do. Well... Look, there was a lot of tension, as we know, between the communists and the non-communists in mm-hmm. the Vietnamese government. Um, some of that had escalated into violence uh, while they're away. I don't know specifics about who was responsible, who started, probably both sides, I'm guessing. Sure. Anyway, several senior nationalists had withdrawn from the coalition as a result, right. which meant that the Viet Minh had firm control over the government, um, which is probably a good thing leading up to the war in a way, although a broad coalition of all of the Vietnamese was something Ho had been aiming for. So there's probably... It's good and bad, right? You don't need to negotiate when you want something done. You just say, let's do it. Right. You don't need to talk to the opposition. On the other hand, it means that he's got internal enemies um, that uh, he's going to have to be careful of that might do deals with the Chinese or the French at this stage. Yeah, I was
1: just going to say, I mean, just real quick. Yeah, I mean, because what what has Ho been saying for the last couple of years? Do whatever you can to broaden our base, broaden our support, don't piss off the French, and now he's going to come back And like you said, the non-communists have been kicked out of the government, so his support base is going to be even smaller and weaker when he's about to, let's be honest, everybody knows it's coming, take on a much powerful adversary. So he's in a weakened position, about to take on the French. I mean, this is the exact opposite of what he's been preaching for years.
0: Well, this is the situation I think we can say he honestly wanted to avoid. Absolutely. And he's done his damnedest to try and avoid it. Yeah. Now, uh, early in the summer, the French in Hanoi had been planning to march through the city for Bastille Day, July 14th, Mm -hmm. but ZAP claimed that intelligence sources reported that nationalist elements were planning on disrupting the celebration in order to sort of provide a a breakdown of the peace talks. And ZAP and the government therefore turned down the French request, Ooh. Um, citing security concerns. Yeah. Now, the next day, the police raided the VNQDD headquarters, the nationalist headquarters, where they found a torture chamber. six The bodies of several victims. Right. And a number of prisoners. Oh. Or, as I like to call it, Tuesday night at Ray's house. <laughs> now... They also found evidence of a plan to kidnap French residents. Right. Or so they claimed. Uh, Did they make it all up to frame the nationalists? Right. That's what the nationalists claimed, as you would. So we don't, I mean, hard to tell, obviously, in these situations whether it was uh, they're setting them up or it's real. Anyway, um, they, they use all of this against the VNQDD. Um, And armed clashes continue between the nationalists and the communists and the French until Ho finally returns in October. Now, the the situation with the French in Vietnam was uh, getting worse, I guess, in many ways. Um, The guy who took over from saint General Moliere, Mm -hmm. um, had to deal with this constant stream of skirmishes between the Vietnamese and the French, and his tactic was to crack down on the perpetrators, which obviously he always saw as the Vietnamese. Right. Um, so he's like cracking down on the Vietnamese, which makes them crack back, crack down, crack up, crack down, crack up. <laughs> Re-crack. And it's just, it's escalating. Right. And then uh, Tran Van Zhao, uh, who had been sort of the, the leader of the um, rebel army in Cochinchina, was replaced by a guy called Nguyen Ben. hmm Do you read about Nguyen Ben?
1: I just read that uh, this is not going to turn out to be a great replacement. Um, I did read that he, had, he... Did he lose sight in one eye, or did he actually lose the eye from previous um,
0: uh, fighting or whatever? Did you read about him? I had a description of him as squat and ugly with one eye, and I thought... That's like Ray with one <laughs> eye. Uh, I, I, my, I said he's your I evil twin. He's feelings. <laughs> I have feelings. Yeah. ugly with one eye. Right. Thank you.
1: No, but he's he's going to turn Squat. out to be not the greatest replacement because it's going to turn out that he's going to be just as brutal as the other guy. Well, so this is not working.
0: Yeah. Just as brutal, but also a bit of a military genius, this guy. Right. Um, like Zap. Um, so... You know, uh, uh, yes, he's brutal. Um, he's ruthless. He has no Ruth. Right. He has zero Ruth, this guy. <laughs> right. Where's your Ruth? By I don't know. The way, I can't find it. Uh-huh. You laugh, but r- the French word Ruth, R-E-U-T-H-E, means pity and compassion. Uh-huh. That's literally what Ruthless means, wow. having no Ruth. Right. That's him. Um, so he he had zero Ruth, gave zero fucks, this guy. <laughs> Now, that reminds me, um, AOC, Alexandria Mm -hmm. Ocasio-Cortez, she was on Colbert this week. Right. And he said, um, now, people from your own party are telling you that you've uh, basically got to shut up, that you've got to stop talking about 70% tax rates and trying to push for change. You've got to slow down, wait your time. Let me ask you this question. How many fucks do you give? (laughs) (laughs) And she said... Oh, that would be zero. <laughs> <laughs> oh. wow! Well, television, television has changed a lot. When you have the host of the Tonight Show right. asking a politician, "How many fucks do you give?" Things have on changed on TV. Yeah, yeah.
1: Wow, things yeah. have changed.
0: Probably bleeped. Sure, but, uh, but still, he said still. it. He said it. Yeah, yeah. Oh my God! Can you imagine Johnny Carson saying new. that? New, new, new. <laughs> Or even Letterman. I can't even imagine Letterman no, saying No, it's not that. his thing, no. Anyway, so, um, you know, Ho gave Bin orders to minimize violence, but Bin basically just ignored him. He threw those orders in the... Shredder? Bin. Oh, Bin. <laughs> the Bin. <He> goes, Bazinga. <laughs> yeah, we've got a place for that. It's in the Bin Bin. <laughs> That's what 13. he called it. Yeah. The Bin Bin. Bin's Bin. bin. <laughs> yeah. He, uh, he set up guerrilla bases north of Saigon and in the Mekong Delta, was harassing French installations from those, raised terrorism to a new level. And this is where I wanted to talk about this religion. Okay. So he assassinated a religious mystic known as Quinn Fusso. Mm. Now, um, he is the founder, Quinn Fusso, was the founder of uh, a, a religion called Dao Huahau. Okay. Which is still still around, still going. He was considered by his followers to be a living Buddha. Right. He was destined to save mankind from suffering. Now, they have about 2 million followers still, Hoa Hau, wow. uh, throughout Vietnam today. Almost uh, as much as around us. Around sort of the... Yeah, just like us. Uh, around the Mekong Delta, mm-hmm. about 90% of the population of the Delta uh, belong this belong to this religion, apparently. Right. Um, Now, interesting, uh, an important characteristic of the religion is that its emphasis is on peasant farmers, Mm -hmm. and it has a a slogan, practicing Buddhism while farming your land. Okay. So it's, you know... Not uh, sexy. Basically, (laughs) not sexy, but probably the right form of Buddhism. It says, listen, it's got nothing to do with rituals or temples Ah, and pagodas and ceremonies... This is about um, just thinking about Buddhism every day, um, doing it while you farm the land, live a simple, modest life. Mm -hmm. Don't include food offerings. Uh, There's no sort of magic divination, no elaborate um, weddings or funeral customs that you find in some varieties of Buddhism. Mm -hmm. These are a waste of money and the money would be better spent helping the poor, Nice. Uh, they just have a plain brown cloth as an altar where the family prays morning and night. Morning and night. They use fresh water, flowers, and incest. Not incest. Incense. Yes. Yeah, we are, no. our form of worship is incest. Uh, like it's <laughs> Welcome to the religion. Um, <laughs> thanks for joining us. Uh, I guess you got the pamphlet that we left in your letterbox. <laughs> Listen, there's a couple of things that you should know. About our religion, Ray. Um, We like to keep it simple in our religion. We're country folk. Country folk. Yeah. Um, Nothing flashy. No, no fancy temples. It's just you know fresh water, flowers, and incest on a daily morning and night. I thought that red incense. No. Oh. Well, we we tried incense. Uh, Then one day somebody just said, "Let's try." Somebody misread it. Said incest. We tried that. Yeah. And quite frankly. Two million people. Yeah. <laughs> Two million people, <laughs> <laughs> like overnight, just exploded. We're like, we're, let's keep it. We we're told, sticking with the incest.
1: <laughs> we told man, Stan and Barry, you're fired. We don't need marketing. We figured it out for ourselves.
0: Incest <laughs> yeah. is best. We got a we got a purple cow, baby. Do, <laughs> incest is best. Do you know that there's an expression that's attributed to Cicero? <laughs>
1: Cicero. That's a new coffee new coffee mug. Hold on. Cicero said incest is best. Cicero said <laughs> that incest. Is a game the whole family can play. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to hell.
0: (laughs) I wish I had that bit on video. Um, (laughs) So uh, no bells or gongs uh, when they do prayers. A a believer who's away from home faces west Uh, towards India to pray to the Buddha. Right. that's it. So uh, for all of this, this, this sort of simple method of practising Buddhism, mm-hmm. um was put into a lunatic asylum. Oh. People figured he was crazy. Right. Um, when he was in the lunatic asylum, the doctor who was trying to cure him converted to his religion, <laughs> apparently. Um, but he made a series of prophecies about the political future of Vietnam. Right. He said that the true king would return to lead Vietnam to freedom and prosperity. Mm. Now, during World War II, uh, he was saying that the true king was uh, the, the sort of fake emperor right. that the uh, um, Japanese were sort of supporting. Ah, Bao Dai? Um, well, not Bao Dai. It nope. was another guy, oh, okay. uh, Kurong Day, mm. that he would become emperor. Um, Anyway, this never happened, and then he got into conflict with the communists because he was kind of pro-Japanese and anti-communist, maybe because the communists were anti-religion, right? maybe because he believed in the true king was going to come. Yeah, he's dead. Anyway, he started preaching against the Viet Minh. Oh, shit. Telling his parishioners to rise up against them. Um, turned into sort of a religious war, and he preached, apparently, this might be Viet Minh propaganda, but according to my sources, Hoa Hau preached that killing 10 Viet Minh would give you a guaranteed entry into heaven. Oh, God. So he basically, he read some uh, Catholic uh, literature from (laughs) the 12th century in the Crusades and went, oh, fuck, that'll do. Yeah, no matter what you've done. Kill it. yeah. Kill a, kill a commie, get straight into heaven. Bet you the Americans loved him, actually. <laughs> um, so, Bin, uh, Nguyen Bin, who had the win Bin Bin, where he put the orders from home in, Ho Chi Minh. <laughs> Ho Chi Minh's orders went into the Nguyen Bin Bin. Right. Never seen again. Ho Chi Minh from the Viet Minh right. sent Nguyen Bin orders, which he put in the Nguyen Bin Bin. It's fucking like it's a Dr. <laughs> Seuss book. <A> Vietnamese Dr. <laughs> Seuss book. So um they, Bin invited Gwyn to a conference. Oh. Look, look, look. Is this like a dinner party? Let's, it's like a lunch. Let's get together. <laughs> work out our differences. Oh my I'm god. I'm sure we can all just get along. Yeah. Really? I think we're all sort of on the same page yes. here. I don't think let's not fight. Let's just work it out. Hugs and kisses. And, of course, as he was on his going to the conference, he and his escort were assassinated. His body was quartered. Oh, my God. And scattered to prevent the Hua Hao from recovering his remains and building a martyr's shrine. Wow. So I don't know what Ho thought about that, but that's how Nguyen Bin put his opponents in the bin, in the Nguyen Bin bin. Just imagine what he did to the French. Oh, yeah. Yeah. So Ho, I think, must have had mixed feelings about um, the way that his colleagues had administered the country while he was away for four months. Yeah. Um, he had repeatedly asked them to avoid provoking <laughs> any problems. Sure. With the French. Yeah. Oops. Um, and he wanted to build this strong coalition with his rivals where he could. That's been crushed. Yeah. Things have escalated. Tensions have escalated with the French. Um, but you know, on the other hand, the suppression of his rivals have made it easier for him to have control, um, and you know things are basically going to lead to war anyway with the French. It's quite obvious now, I think. Right. So um, maybe now it's just a matter of buying time so they can uh, get ready, build up the resources, get get organized. Right. Meanwhile, mm-hmm. the French had basically failed. Remember they were saying, oh, we need about a week and we'll take, have complete control of Cochin, China? Yeah. Um, they'd pretty much failed. The ceasefire, um, which Ho had signed as part of the modus for Vendi, mm-hmm. is just going to give him time to get his ducks lined up. But there was one possibility that the French still were entertaining, and that was to strike at the heart of Viet Minh power. In the north. Ooh. And I think that's where we will leave it. Well, that's episode 108. I hope you're enjoying the story. Uh, I am. Uh, we've got at least three coffee mugs out of today's episode.
1: <laughs> None of them that you can clean enough you can use in your office, but enjoy them um, at home in the private privacy of your own home.
0: No, no, you need to take them to the <laughs> office. That's the okay. whole point. Okay. Ho means no. <laughs> Ho says no. That's right. The ho knows. The ho knows. The ho just knows. The ho just knows. The Nguyen Bin Bin. Where's that? It's, it's coming soon. Stickers from a cold dot com that you can put on your bin in your office and call it the Nguyen Bin Bin. <laughs> Don't make me quarter you and throw you in the Nguyen Bin Bin. Gold mine. Gold mine. All right. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, folks. Be good to each other. D back.
1: across the country.